Welcome to Selah. I'm going to open up in some prayer real quick. Uh, Lord Jesus, we love you so much, and I pray that you will just be here with us now. God, send your spirit of truth to reveal your word to us, God. I pray that as I speak that you will empower me to be glorifying to you and rightly divide your word. So I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are on Wednesday nights with the young adults group going through Acts, and last, this past Wednesday, we um, came across a false prophet, so we talked a little bit about that, and we didn't get into, there's so many verses about false prophets, so we didn't totally unpack this passage, and there's a lot to it, so we're going to go to 2 Timothy, we can go there now, 2 Timothy I would love to teach you the whole book tonight, but for your sanity's sake, I will leave that to your own study. But we are going to be going through a lot of scripture, so hang in there with me. Tonight's sermon is called Unite and Separate, which sounds like a little bit of a paradox, but uh, it'll make sense as we go on. Where we are is, Paul is at the end of his life, and he's writing to Timothy, who is the pastor of Ephesus, and there's a lot going on in Ephesus. But Paul is basically in this letter writing for the last time and sort of passing the baton to Timothy and saying, the language in 2 Timothy is very interesting. There's a shift in all the other letters. It's run the good race, join in with me, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the language that he's always saying. In this letter, it's I have run the good race. He's in prison. He's about to die. And he's basically saying to Timothy, I'm not going to be there with you anymore. Here are some final words on how to lead your people. It's an intense letter. And when you sort of have that context, it's a little more intense. But he has in this chapter up to the point we're going to start in verse 11. He has been saying, endure, endure, endure. That's like been his big push up to this point. And we're going we're gonna to pick it up as he turns a corner here. And verse 11, he says, This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, speaking of Christ, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also d- deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things. Speaking to Timothy of the people who he's pastoring. Remind them of these things. Charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Like I said, this is a shift here because he's been pushing endure, endure, endure. And he gets to this thing and then says, remind your people of this and he shifts into a unite. You need to unite. And that's what he starts talking about here. And in these three verses, 11, 12, and 13, we see the word we six times. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny, he also will deny us. I didn't count that as a we because it's not a we, but that there's another one. It's, it's talking about us as a group. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. When persecution comes, which it will come, and that's what he's saying, that's what he's been saying, 
But now he shifts into unity because when persecution comes, there needs to be unity. We need to be strong together. We need to have that unity together. And we need to have that mind of we, not me, by myself. I am all that, you know, it's all about only my relationship with Christ. No, it's always talking about we need to be united, especially in persecution. And that's what he starts talking about here. And in verse 3, Paul says to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then here, though, we see him say not to strive about words. A soldier is meant to fight. Like, and that's his point. Like, this persecution is going to come. And in Ephesians, which is to the same church, right, he's saying stand against the enemy, right? As a good sh- soldier, put on that armor of, of God. And there's that, you need to be a soldier ready to fight. But then there's this part where he says don't strive. Don't fight with each other. And the point is not to do battle with those who are on your side. Not to turn your muskets on each other, as the old saying says, but to fight together, right? If an army, imagine a giant army going to war, they're all geared up and they're coming over this hill. And imagine as they come over this hill, they see their enemy in the valley fighting themselves, killing each other. And they just sort of look at them, and they look at each other, and it's like, well, we don't need to enter into this fight. Like, they're killing each other off. There's no need to enter into that battle. So it's like, well, I guess we can just go home. Like, or maybe wait to see if there's any stragglers and then kill them off. But there's no need to enter into that battle. There's no point of entering into that fight. So... Not only are arguments between Christians, not only is it unprofitable, but it's damaging. And not only is it damaging to the two who are fighting, right? But he says here in verse 14, to the ruin of the hearers, the people who are witnessing the thing are actually ruined. And one of the biggest criticisms, and I would say a true criticism about Christianity from the world, from people who are non-Christians, Their criticism is against denominations. And I've heard it time and time and time again that, man, Christians can't even agree on what the Bible says. That's why there's so many denominations. And it's like, I agree with you. (laughs) Like, and that's not of God. Like, that's not, it's not like God's like, sweet, everyone's dividing. No, that's not something we should celebrate. Of course, there's always going to be different churches in different areas, but we need to be united as the church, as the body of Christ. When we argue with one another, when Christians argue with one another, we're not being a good witness. We are not drawing people into the kingdom of God. People don't feel the love of God when they hear Christians arguing. They just think, well, I don't want to be like that. We're turning away non-Christians and we're ruining them. We're, we're ruining our own reputation. <laughs> we're fighting against each other when we argue, especially when we argue in public. And I've been on both sides of this where I hear Christians arguing. Or, and I've unfortunately also been in a, an argument at a coffee shop where it's like this public thing. And it's like, 
the people that are hearing this like this is not helping them. I'm not witnessing to them right now. I'm just showing that Christians can't get along. Like, why would they want to be a part of this? And I've been on the outside of it and been like, I'm glad I'm not in that conversation. <laughs> like, it's it ruins the hearer. And it ruins Christian hearers, too. That's all the focus on on non-Christians, how it ruins the hearer of the non-Christian, but it ruins Christian hearers as well. When we have a dispute about a, a minute detail, right? He says, do not strive about words. In the presence of Christians, when we have that dispute in front of other Christians, it causes division. Because the hearer will say, hmm, who do I, dis- who, who do I agree with? And who do I disagree with? That's division. <laughs> That's literally like dividing what should be united. And Proverbs says that God hates those who sow discord among brethren. He hates that. That's an intense thing. And the Bible does talk about God's hate, but not very often. The things that he hates, we need to pay attention to and say, that needs to not be me. I need to not be around that thing. The other way it ruins a Christian hearer uh, is it's just annoying. <laughs> it's, it's literally like, that's, it, that's just it. The Christian hearer will say, why does this minute detail matter? Like, I didn't come to this Christian event to hear a couple of people arguing. Like, I came to learn about the Bible, and now I have to hear these two people butt heads. Like, I could have watched the news for this. <laughs> I, I don't need to come to fellowship to, to see two people fighting. So it ruins the hearer. Do not strive about words. Verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. This first part where he's talking about you don't need to be ashamed, being a good worker. If you look over quickly to uh, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, He's saying to be a good soldier, to be a winning athlete, to be the hardworking farmer. And so he's kind of throwing back to his previous point when he's like, you don't have to be, you know, ashamed of your work if you're being diligent as a Christian. Because if you think about it, if two guys are getting paid to pull weeds together and they start arguing, are they doing their job? No, no one's pulling the weeds. (laughs) No one's doing the work that's supposed to be doing if you're just having an argument. It totally distracts from what it's supposed to be doing. So he's saying be diligent not to do that because there's work to be done that God has you to do. Focus yourself. Be diligent. And furthermore, he says, the more uh, we, Christians, argue with each other about things that ultimately don't matter or even things that don't have an answer yet, right? Like, I've heard tons of arguments about eschatology, which we've been told we're not going to know until they happen. Like, look for the signs, look for what's going to happen, but you're not going to (laughs) know. Why are we arguing about this? It's ridiculous. And the more that we do that, he says, the further we get from God. He says it here in verse 16, it uh, will increase to more ungodliness. You're getting further from God the more you argue. Don't do it. Verse 17, and their message will spread like cancer. 
Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth. The more we argue, the more attention a false idea gets. Right? It's going to spread like a cancer. It's a wrong teaching. It's something that's not biblical. Oh, well, let's set up a debate and everybody can come watch us, like, debate this thing that's not true. Okay, well, now the thing that's not true is just getting a bunch more attention and a bunch more followers. And he's saying these two guys, he names them by name, they're of this sort, and they have strayed from the truth, he says. This is how division happens in the body of Christ and how false doctrine spreads. And people can stray from the truth by listening to these false teachers. He continues in verse 18. These two people, they've strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Now, this might be considered today as sort of a small detail, like the resurrection is already past. There are literally people within the Christian community who say that that same thing, who, who say that, yeah, the resurrection already passed. It's like, it's already been fulfilled. It's already, everything's already happened. But Paul, he says that they've strayed concerning the truth and that they are destroying people's faith. For, for that is the word that he uses here in, in verse 18. It says overthrow. Some of your versions might try and, forgive me, but water it down a little bit. But the word in the original text is overthrow and destroy. They are trying to destroy, or not trying to, they, they, they destroy, they overthrow the faith of some. They're not trying to, but they are doing that. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Amen. Having this seal, the Lord knows whose are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the maker, prepared for every good work. Here we see the word sanctified. This is set apart. This is separate. Okay, so we have unite and separate. That's what we're talking about tonight. And he's talking about these two things. These vessels of silver and gold that are meant for honor, wooden clay, dishonor. And he says, if you cleanse yourself from the latter, speaking of the things that are made for dishonor, the wood, clay vessels, if you cleanse yourself from that, then you will be a vessel meant for honor. What he's saying is to sanctify yourself, to cleanse yourself, to separate from that uncleanness in your life. And I live in an area where a lot of the homosexual community lives in our neighborhood. And and one of them works at a local church and she's a pastor there. And I'm kind of like, man, so I'm like gearing up for that conversation because it hasn't fully, because she just found out that I'm a Bible teacher and she's like, oh, cool. And so like, She's told me that, and I was just kind of like, oh, whoa, okay. All right. So I was like doing some research and 
Uh, I did watch the debate, so there's that. But <laughs> in that debate, it was these people who there's like a whole theology, a whole movement where you're okay, I'm okay. Like, and it's these weird, nuanced little changes that make you go, man, like this is complicated. Like this is some deep stuff. And in these churches and in this theology, it's very much like, hey, we're forgiven. Like, we can do this stuff. And it's, it's one of those crazy things. It's like Paul directly opposes holding on to past sins and trying to bring them into Christianity over and over and over in all of his letters, including right here where he's saying to rid yourself of the wood and clay vessels rid yourself of that stuff you used to do of of the people who are teaching wrongly get rid of that and move into doing good things like that is the whole point here in uh verse 21 that we could be prepared for every good work 22 flee also youthful lust this is what you used to do your old past, now that you're a Christian, put that stuff away. You're not a kid anymore. You are now a child of God, and you need to put those things away. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Christians need to unite. Put away our old sins and enter into a relationship with God and with the body of Christ. We need to put away our old stuff and enter into relationship with each other. 23, but avoid, he's going to repeat himself here, he's trying to make a point, I think, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. We, as Christians, it's very plain there, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. We don't quarrel. Does that mean that we don't confront wrong ideas? No, because then he says correct. We don't quarrel, we correct, and we leave it at that. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. But then the next verse, verse 5, says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So how do, what's being said here? The same thing in Proverbs is the same thing that's being said here. Do not get pulled in to foolish debate. Don't get pulled into a quarrel at all. Because if two people start arguing, they look the same. One might be a fool, but the other one sure looks like one. And no one can tell the difference. Don't enter in to that foolish debate. Rather, correct falsehood. But go no further than that. That's false. And it's gonna, there's going to be some pushback, but the point is to not enter into that. There's a lot of stuff will get thrown at you, but that's the way that you need to handle it. And in verse 24, another thing I want to talk about here, it says, uh, 
to be able to teach, right? He says, be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. This word is interesting in the original text. There's sort of two sides to this thing. Uh, it, of course, and in the context, it makes total sense that you need to humbly correct with the authority of a teacher, right? Gentle with everybody, humbly correcting, but with the authority of a teacher. Like, I am the teacher, this is the truth, that is false. And he's talking to a pastor here. This is how you need to conduct yourself. But in the original text, there is a part of this word that's talking about being teachable. And I think that's important to say because the only real way to be a good teacher is to be teachable, is to be able to learn, to be able to receive from other people and the word of God so that you can rightly teach. And also there are those moments where there is going to be conflict and there is going to be correction of the teacher. So you need to be teachable and be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing as he's teaching you so that you can teach properly. And I think that that's just a really interesting word that uh, Paul would throw in here, able to teach. And it has this, even the way it's worded, able to teach, it's you are able to teach and you're also able to teach. <laughs> you know, like there's two sides of this thing. Moving on in uh, verse 25. At the end there, he says, uh, If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. He's saying, correct these people and hopefully God will forgive them. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. That is an intense thing for Paul to throw out there, that these people that Paul is warning about, they love to argue. He says that they have been taken captive by the devil and that they are doing the devil's will. These people have, he's now said, strayed concerning the truth, overthrown or destroyed the faith of some, and they have fallen away and become false teachers. He continues actually what he's talking about here in chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, that's now, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Now, I read these verses slowly. Normally, I kind of jam through it because there's a lot of stuff in there, but I, I read it slowly because I kind of want it to, to sink in. I want you guys to get to know this list and other lists like it because there's so many warnings, as I've talked about before, about false teachers, and we need to know what they look like so we can be aware of them. That's why there's so many warnings about them. First uh, Timothy 4, 1 Corinthians 4, many other verses throughout the New Testament give very specific lists of what to look for in a false teacher, and this is another one of them. And we are told to separate from this sort, 
we're told to distance ourselves. In, in the last chapter of Romans, he says to mark and avoid. Like, totally separate, totally avoid these types of people. From such people, turn away. But we were just talking about uniting, right? And again, that's the, the interesting thing with this passage and other, others like it. We need to unite as the body of Christ on the gospel and all that scripture says as one body, which is the body of Christ. We need to unite as the body of Christ. But we need to separate from people and from things, but here he's talking about people, who are causing separation of that body causing division within the body of Christ. We need to separate and avoid these types of people. If somebody's trying to get in there and make a dissection and say, hey, we need to go over and do this other thing, that is not godly. That is not what we need to do. And we are actually going to push you aside because you are causing division in the church. And it might start with a small thing. It might just be a few concerns or a couple disagreements, but watch it escalate. And it, and it does. And churches split all the time because of a small thing that turns into a little bit of a bigger thing. And then the person starts causing all kinds of ruckus and getting all people on his side. And then all of a sudden he takes a bunch of the people from that church and he splits. And he's literally causing division over, honestly, often a small detail. And there are those times where churches split because the pastor wants to go into falsehood and then everybody else is like, nope. We follow the Bible, so we're going to split. So that's not what I'm talking about. That's confronting, that's correcting and saying, we are not going to follow falsehood. That's to a totally different thing. But what I'm saying is, within a congregation, if you're seeing somebody causing division, beware of them. Keep your eye on them. Mark them, avoid them, and separate from them. Verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These people he's talking about, these people we need to separate from, they are smart people. They're learned people. They seem knowledgeable. They're educated. They sound really good when they speak. Again, in Romans 16, he says they have smooth words and flattering lips. They, they sound really good when they speak, but they're doing the work of the devil. They're doing the will of the devil. For time's sake, we're going to skip over to verse 13. He's speaking of the same man here. When he says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They are deceived but they're also deceiving others. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, brethren, verse 1 of chapter 4, 
Uh, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, within that passage, there's a few what I like to call highlighter verses. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture, right, given for, or God-breathed, right, given by inspiration. We've heard this before. Also, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And I, I call verses like this, and there's lots of them. Um, I call them highlighter verses because when you get to them, they sort of jump out, and sometimes they get pulled out of the original context. And these are amazing verses and should be, can be used in other contexts. They are, they are great verses. But we need to also consider and not forget that these verses are talking in the context about separating from and avoiding wicked people and false teachers. Enduring persecution, uniting with those who love God and love his word. That's what this passage is talking about when it's saying all scripture is God-breathed. He's, he's saying, like, this is how we know if someone's false. He's saying, be ready in season and out of season because you don't know when a false preacher is going to come knocking on your door. And I, I don't say all of this, and I don't teach all of this to myself, so discord. Right? I'm not saying go around pointing the finger at everybody that you know you think might be a false teacher. But I am saying this to hopefully help you identify who is sowing discord so that you can obey the word of God. And that, that list that we read earlier and the ones that I mentioned in, in other passages, it you might read a few of them and you might think of a certain person or you might think of a certain denomination and you, you they might not check all the boxes. And what I don't want you to do is like, well, it's like, you know, it's only nine out of ten. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe it's not that bad. It doesn't need to be all of the things. Like, if it's, if it's a handful of those things, like, it's likely it's who Paul is talking about. So consider that as when you're reading and go, yikes, I know somebody like that. Pray about that. And I'm not saying to, like, quickly go out and start preaching against them and pointing the finger and, 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 you know, yelling about them. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying the word of God says to separate from these people and, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal how to deal with this. And I'm not saying that it's easy. In fact, I know for a fact that it's complicated. It's very difficult. And honestly, it's normally pretty messy. There is pushback. There is accusation. There is an attempt to argue. And not entering into that because some wicked things will be said about you is difficult in and of itself. So we need to, as Paul says to the same church in the book of Ephesians, 
to put on the whole armor of God and be prepared to stand against the enemy. So I'll close in asking the Holy Spirit to guide us in these situations and to uh, give us wisdom. Lord God, I just thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you so much for breathing it for us and preserving it so that we can know you more and know your heart, God. I pray that you will empower us to endure hard things when they come our way, and I pray that you will send your spirit of truth and of wisdom and of comfort to help us and guide us through difficult situations of separating from people who should be separated from through all kinds of attacks that come from that. God, I pray that you will just empower us and and send your spirit to help us through these tough decisions and tough situations, God. I pray that you will reveal to us the, the truth about people who are sowing discord or preaching falsely, and that you will again, give us wisdom of how to mark and avoid them, how to separate in a way that glorifies you and doesn't sow more discord, but rather creates more unity within the body of Christ, Lord. We love you and we praise you, and I pray that you will bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.